first responders see some strange things, some tragic and unfortunate circumstances, and some downright scary happenings. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends. It's good to see you made it back for another episode. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true EMT horror stories. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share, whether it's a first responder story or something different, please send it in at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. I hope you guys are enjoying the Swamptober Marathon. Now, let's get into these creepy and allegedly true EMT horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Hi guys, to start this off, I'm a 21-year-old EMT firefighter operating in North Central Arkansas. I, along with our station, watch these stories as they pass time and are a good scare. But I thought it would be time to share this story with everyone here. We all have a plethora of crazy stories, but this is by far the scariest one I have ever been a part of. Well, to start this off, we were working nights this period. We got a 911 call around 2.15 in the morning. The call came in as a 28-year-old female that was having suicidal ideations. We got in the truck. We were told that the police were en route and made our way to the address. Everything was going normal like every other call. About 15 minutes away from the caller's address. To give some context if you're not from North Central Arkansas, you know that it is heavily forested. Down to many two-lane highways with no houses or civilizations for miles. Well, while we are driving through these dead forest roads... We spotted a car that was parked at an angle across both lanes, obstructing the entire road. The car looked to be abandoned with all doors including the trunk and hood open. We were not scared per se, but indeed creeped out as this was very strange to see in the middle of a forest, especially in the middle of the night. Our truck's radio had enough strength to reach the dispatch and we told them that we would get there as soon as we got around this driver we had to make sure he was alright. Then, we would push the car out of the way if no one was here, so we could get to the original call we were dispatched for. We stepped out of our ambulance and walked cautiously to the car with no driver, or, for that matter, anybody present. We then made our way to the driver's side, and while my partner, who was 130 pounds and 5'3", and also female, steered the car in neutral, I, a 200-pound 6'1 guy, pushed from the trunk to get it moving. As we were working to get the car moved, the situation was really sinking in as to why there would be a car here. Why would someone abandon it with all the doors open? It didn't really make any sense and I began to get an uneasy feeling in my stomach while pushing this car. As we had got the car moved just enough to get our ambulance past one side, we hear a god-awful raspy scream come from about 35 to 40 yards away in the forest. We both froze. My blood ran cold, and all my hair stood straight up. While looking and scanning the woods with our flashlights, we see this man, a raggedy, very thin-looking man in what had to be his late fifties, with long matted gray hair 
and such a crazy look in his eyes. He was standing at the edge of the woods and was staring at us. The thing that got me really unnerved was a large hunting knife in his right hand. While he was standing there, my partner said she was going to ask if he needed help. I, however, said that was not happening and told her, we will head back to the truck rather quickly, but calmly. As we turned to speed walk to the truck, which is about 200 feet away, this crazy man began sprinting toward us screaming obscenities and saying he was going to make us pay. I screamed to run to the truck and we made a mad dash for it, all while hearing this person with a knife saying, I'll kill you both. We got to the truck and locked the doors. At this point, my partner is crying and I'm shaking as I throw the truck into drive and get around the car. This guy beats on the door and gash the side of the truck with his knife. We floor it out of there and contact dispatch to explain the full situation and said that PD needs to be sent to find this man so he doesn't have any more victims stop to try to move the car as we did. This all happened in the span of five to seven minutes at the most. So we make our way to our original call and complete it with no hiccups. This happened roughly three years ago. and We have never heard of this happening to anyone else. Police told us they found no car or person only footsteps in the grass on the shoulder off the road leading into the woods. My partner and I are still partners and we can agree. This was one of the scariest things we have ever seen on our job. All we have to say is, be very careful out there. There are crazy people in this world. If you see this swamp dweller, thank you for sharing my story. Stay safe, guys. I'm an EMT. I have been for about three years now. I live and work in Southern California, and this transport happened when I was a brand new EMS worker at four months at a private ambulance company. This company was a private BLS, or basic life support. The company, primarily, meaning we typically transported patients whose care provider had contracts with us. However, sometimes we would run 911 calls out of prisons. This is where our story begins. It was late into the night at our station when I heard the tone from my radio. Uh, copy. Wheels up in two. I replied. I walked over to my partner who was sleeping on our wreck area couch. Rise, sweet prince. A life needs saving. I sarcastically exclaimed. We hopped into the rig, the engine roared to life, and we set off. Lights blazing, sirens wailing. As we approached the prison, we killed the lights and sirens and proceeded with routine security checks. Once the guards were satisfied with the search, we were given access and led through the gates and parked outside the medical bay. Gurney and medical equipment in tow, we entered the prison hospital. Now because my partner was the patient person for the last call, I was going to be the primary care provider for this patient. Now. Though I had been a new EMT, I had done a lot of prison transports in a small period of time. I've had inmates scream at me, try to bribe me, and yes, even try to kill me. So, as you can imagine, I really wasn't looking for fight night on Unit 221 at 4 in the morning. Regardless, I always prepared for the worst. We were escorted in by guards as usual and led into the main area of the hospital's rooms, which were fitted as cells. I was approached by a nurse who gave me a sheet of paper with his information and most recent vitals. I began to ask for the turnover report and why this patient was required to transport, 
and where we were to be transporting to. The nurse stared blankly for a moment before he said, You're going to Scripps Mercy Shores Hospital, room 329. He's going because he doesn't feel well and he needs some tests done. He shouldn't be a problem for you. Already a few silent alarms were going off in my head. Scripps Mercy Shores is a rich people hospital. I have never heard of anyone other than someone wealthy going there, let alone a prisoner. Second, not feeling well and needs tests don't really paint a great picture of why he needs to go and what I'll be dealing with. And finally, what does he shouldn't be a problem for you even mean? If he's violent or even an at-risk patient, they'd normally just say so getting an actual report on this patient's health and medical condition was like getting blood from a stone. I decided to just relent and go ahead with the transport. The prison guards brought the shackled patient out to us, another oddity. Every other time I'd go in and talk with them before getting them onto the gurney. Standing before me was a tall, rather frail-looking man of dark complexion. His eyes were red and sunken. His overall demeanor was a fearful one. He was constantly shivering. He looked like hell. I introduced myself and began my whole checklist of things to ask and address. We'll call him David. He answered all my questions with a small and quivering voice. When I asked what the problem was tonight, he gave a quick and frightened glance towards the guards and the nurse and said, I don't feel well. His reply sounded forced and rehearsed. Abuse from the staff came to mind first, but I addressed that later. I decided just to go ahead and get this guy going, and I'd wrapped everything up and got him in the ambulance. Before loading him in, I asked him the same question I ask all the inmate patients. Be straight with me, and I'll be straight with you. Are you going to cause problem once we get going? He quickly shook his head no, and we were off. When transporting prisoners, one guard accompanies in the ambulance, and another follows in what's called a tail car. This is for everyone's safety and ensuring that if the patient tries anything, an official guard is there to address it. I was busy writing up my report when I realized that between the confusion of the call and the late hour, I had forgotten to get a set of my own vitals. A rookie mistake. We were about halfway to our destination and the patient had remained silent this whole time. I told him I was going to take his vitals and instructed him to give me his arm so I could begin. He did so immediately, like he was trained to obey anything demanded of him and did so with that haunting look of fear. I wrapped my blood pressure cuff around his arm, and that's when I felt him for the first time. His skin was ice cold. There wasn't even a slight bit of warmth to his skin. I asked him if he had needed a blanket, but he declined. I continued with my evaluation. I inflated the cuff, pressed the stethoscope to his brachial artery, and listened for the pulse to come back to show me his blood pressure. It didn't come back. At first, I thought my stethoscope was broken, so I grabbed a spare one. The same result. No pulse. I removed all of my equipment and felt for his pulse myself. Still, nothing. I looked at him and asked if he felt alright. He replied with a simply, quiet, I'm okay, thank you. Caught off guard, I grabbed my pulse oximetry, which is used to find a heart rate and blood oxygen level, and put it on his finger. After a moment of the machine reading, the heart rate came back at zero, and the blood oxygen level came back at zero. My heart dropped. I took another set of vitals to see if I misread anything, but they all came back the same. Heart rate, zero. Blood pressure, zero. Blood oxygen level, zero. The only thing consistent was his respiratory rate, which was 24 breaths a minute. 
a bit higher than the resting rate, but not alarming. I looked back again and asked him once more if he's okay. He looked at me in the eyes and nodded, his head yes, as tears welled up in his eyes, then looked away. He was completely alert. He responded perfectly to all my questions. His eyes were equal and reactive, all signs of good brain function, but no sign of a pulse or any vascular activity. At this point, I don't know what to think. Scientifically, there is no reason this guy should be alive. Even if he had an artificial heart, he would be showing vital signs. But he's right in front of me, alert, breathing, talking when addressed. It makes absolutely no sense. I decided to continue investigating. I listened to his heart with my stethoscope. There was no beating, no thumping, just the muffled sound of his breathing. While I was there, I listened to his lungs, all clear, all normal. I had just finished listening to his chest when we pulled up into our destination. We offloaded him from the ambulance, took him into the room we were instructed to, then he hopped off the gurney and was escorted to his hospital bed by the guards. I began giving my almost unbelievable turnover report to the nurse who surprisingly didn't seem to alarm by it at all. I wrapped up my turnover and then sat down in a nearby chair to finish up my report. As I sat, typing away at my computer, I'm interrupted by the sound of the hospital gurney rolling down the hallway. It was accompanied by four people in surgical gowns who entered the inmate's room with said gurney. After a few minutes, the team of surgical attire emerges from the room. Inmate strapped down to the gurney with restraints, audibly crying, and they wheel him down the hall and around the corner. That's the last I ever saw of him. I told my partner once we were back in the ambulance and he didn't really believe me at first, which I can understand. I joke around a lot, but with the look I gave him, he knew I wasn't kidding. This story may not have been what you were expecting. It's not violent or particularly frightening, but this was hands down the most disturbing call I have ever had. I don't know what I saw. I don't know what I transported. I have my theories, such as experimental treatments being carried out on inmates, but with skin like ice, hardly any vital signs, and such a fearful demeanor, I can only wonder what kind of experiments and what kind of horrors that man had faced. I worked as an EMT for one of the busiest cities when it comes to 911 calls. It was a beautiful summer day and everyone was at the beach enjoying the sun. Tones drop and we get to our rig to see that we are responding to a potential infant drowning. We get to the scene and find PD performing CPR. We take over and start doing everything we can. I get this weird feeling to look up mid-compression and I see this little girl I'm performing CPR on standing three feet away from me. She doesn't say anything, but I get a feeling of calmness, one that tells me everything is going to be okay. We get pulses back for a minute and then lose them. By the time the fire engine shows up, we load and go. Fire driving the rig, my partner, a fire medic, and I in the back doing all we can to save this baby girl. We get to the children's hospital, and all three of us are much too invested at this point to just offload and go. We stay and fight the battle with the ER team. It was the moment I chose to leave EMS. We lost her. My heart sank. How could I get a feeling of hope, then lose her? I took it personally to deliver the news to the parents. I broke down and cried with them, holding them telling them I'm sorry. I get back to the rig after what seems like an eternity and in the back, in the airway seat, I swear I see the little girl, just sitting there and smiling, 
I, I don't know. I got that calmness all over again. Like she was telling me it's okay. Fast forward about a year. I will admit that I had paranormal activity happening around me in my personal life. Seeing that same ghost since I was 10. Seeing backpacks fly off countertops. Water glasses full being thrown to the ground when there's no breeze. But this whole past year, when I'm stressed or need calmness, she comes and she calms me. I still deal with the fact that I couldn't save her. She was my hardest no save. But I think I gained a guardian angel in her, no matter how crazy that sounds. I was working for an ambulance service, and from day one I would say weird things happened in the hospital and in our building. Things like waking up to doors slamming, or one time waking up after I heard someone say, Wake up! Like two inches from my face, and getting a call a second later. It was more so the feeling of breath hitting my face an instant before the words that freaked me out. Certain parts of the buildings had a weird feeling like you were being watched. Occasionally, things would move out of the corner of your eye. Stuff like that. I know weird things happen around sleep and around lack of sleep for that matter. So those aren't always paranormal experiences, but who knows. This story is different though because it wasn't just me. A few winters ago, I was working and it was snowing. I and the other medic had gone over to the ER to help with trauma. When we got back, we were both in the kitchen area sitting, talking, just letting the adrenaline wear off. Our part of the building was the third floor of a long rectangular building with one long hallway down the middle and stairwells at both ends. So as we are sitting there, we both hear footsteps coming down the long set of stairs that sound like boots, getting louder as it gets to our floor, and then at the door at the end of the hall opening and closing. We were not sure who it was, but other people had keys to the building, so it wasn't that strange. At first, although it was weird that anyone would be coming up at around 3 in the morning. Our building is separate from the main hospital and is a small facility so not a lot of people around it are there, especially at night. We kept talking expecting to see someone walk by the room or have someone say something. Nothing happened though. After a minute or two, I poked my head around to look down the hall. No one was there. We didn't hear anyone, see any footsteps once the door had opened and closed. After about a minute or so, we went down the stairs and looked out into the parking lot and out the door. There were no tire tracks, no shoe prints. As I said, it was snowing. We went to the other door and there were none there either. It creeped us both out pretty good. The building was old and had been a lot of different things in its days, serving mostly as hospital functions though. As far as I know, no patient rooms were ever there. Certainly, people die in the ambulances. Well, actually, no one really dies in an ambulance and in the hospital, but I don't know of any other deaths in the building. I mentioned it to some of my co-workers the next day, and they said they had heard doors slamming, and one medic who used to be there swore a locked door on the sleeping room floor would fly open in the middle of the night, especially when he was there alone. As far as anything with the patients goes, I don't think I ever saw anything paranormal. Death is a process and weird things can happen during it, so it can be hard to draw out that exact line between normal and paranormal, I suppose. To 
To give some background, I work the night shift at a local gas station as one of my two jobs. My other job is as a firefighter EMT in town. The station is quiet most nights, with a few truckers coming into the gas station. The occasional late goer will come in to grab some grub before going home and of course, we get the rush of drunk college kids coming in after bars close. It's an easy job and most of the time I'm in the kitchen and I don't have to deal with customers. However, this night that this happened, the other person working at the store decided that she'd rather be in the kitchen and I could stay on the floor, which was fine with me. Honestly, I didn't mind the occasional break from the monotony of the kitchen and I was in a zen mood that night. I figured I could deal with most of the drunks, might even get a good laugh out of the thing. The night went on just like any other night, really. We received the supplies that came in, shelf them up, check out the occasional customer, a truck would come in occasionally and get their stuff checked out. The only weird thing that happened was the phone kept ringing every hour on the hour, and whenever we'd pick up, no one would answer. We figured it was just some sort of tactical error in the system and that we'd call corporate later and see what they could do. At around three, when it was not that busy, a trucker came in to pay for his gas. Now, the occasional trucker uses his card where you must type in a lot of information about the company, truck, etc. It's a pain in the ass. But at the time, in the morning, it didn't really bother me. There's nothing else going on. There weren't really enough people around that really held up a line anyways. And most of the truckers were super patient if something went wrong with the machine. The phone started to ring again, just like it had been most of the night, and I was almost tempted not to pick it up. However, on the off chance that it was corporate calling to tell us something was going on or something like that, we needed to pick it up. I grabbed it and asked the trucker for permission. He nodded, not in that big of a hurry, and so I picked up and answered. A grave voice greeted me instead of silence this time, and I was overjoyed for a second. The voice was hard to understand, though, very rough, as though he had been smoking far too many ciggies in his day, and with some thick accent that was hard to get over the phone. I wasn't the best with phone conversation as it was. One of my ears was well damaged from an accident from a fire many years back, so I eventually asked my partner to pick up the phone while I dealt with the trucker's fuel. After finally ringing up all of the stuff and him leaving, I looked over at my partner who was still on the phone with this guy. Another bit of background information. The gal I'm working with is usually chipper, even this early in the morning. If you're having a rough day, she's the one that you want to work with. She could perk up a morgue. When I looked at her, though, her face was pale and worried. I glanced at her worriedly, and she mouthed the word, help, to me. So I grabbed the phone from her and took over once more, even though I doubted I would be able to understand him. Hello? I was met with silence for a good ten seconds. You're the other girl in the store, aren't you? The weird-looking one? I tensed immediately. I'd been messed with in the past by customers, but that coupled with Susie, my partner, a reaction made me immediately on edge. Maybe. Can I ask what you want, sir? His voice had somehow become clearer, though maybe that was just the adrenaline kicking in. My lip curled, and I felt myself wanting to attack the phone. I'm rather prone to violence first. I'm not proud to admit, and I'm rather protective of those I'm close to on top of that. I don't know what you said to my coworker, but I swear to God if you call again. I 
and then he said my name, and Susie's. I'm calling the cops, man. If you call again, you will not be happy with the results. He hung up. Then, I found myself on edge for the rest of the night. We called in the cops, and then, the one that usually stops in to check on things about once every four hours showed up. He took a statement from us both. Apparently, what had Susie so freaked out was what the man had said prior to her. I won't repeat it, mainly because it makes me sick just thinking about it, let alone typing it out. But it was a hell of a lot worse than what he had said to me. Later in the day, right before my shift ended, the cop pulled us back into the room and asked if we recognized someone from the camera footage. I did, not really, because he seemed like any of the other factory workers around my town from the granny footage. He was sitting outside the store most of the night, drove around a couple of times to try and go unnoticed. Anything weird happens through the night other than that. We explained the phone calls every hour on the hour, and he noted that he would check on that too. I don't know if they ever caught the guy, or even if they could have done anything about it. I don't know if he had done anything illegal per se, but I do know that I never saw him or heard him again. He most definitely won't be happy with the results if he does. The first time I ever had someone dancing naked and bloody on top of a police car during a psychotic breakdown was a truly eye-opening experience to a rookie EMT. That guy got his blood all over me and ruined my new jacket. He kept staring at me maniacally, constantly repeating random numbers and saying, I am Satan, repeatedly. It's kind of weird how quickly that sort of run or call becomes routine. I had another psych patient early in my career that sticks with me out of just pure gross factor. I had another psych patient early in my career that sticks with me for a gross out factor. She was an Asian lady in her 60s but swore up and down that she was a 15 year old girl. She would keep saying the most morbid and grotesque things over and over. I don't remember the exact details, but she did talk about being, um, you know, assaulted repeatedly and having her skull caved in that morning. Then, she started going on about how I've been bleeding out of my, you know, what, every single day for the last three years. I've asked her if she was currently bleeding because vaginal hemorrhaging is a legitimate medical complaint, and who knows what's actually happening. She very well could have actually been assaulted. At that point, she removed a bloody maxi pad and threw it at me, smacking me square in the chest. My partner erupted in laughter and said, <laughs> Dude, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. On a Halloween about four years ago, I was working a shift with a good buddy of mine, and we got a run for an unknown medical. We were a couple of cocky mid-twenty-somethings. On the way up the elevator, we got caught up in an argument over an A's versus Giants Bay Area baseball game. We almost blew off the security guard when he was opening the door to some random apartment. Oh, she's definitely dead, the guard said, and we were instantly like, what? Usually, the cops get to this sort of thing before us, plus we had no idea a dead body was involved. Yet there she was, reclined in a lazy boy with her feet all the way up in a position of comfort. Her eyes were rolled back and mouth agape just like in the movies. Over her head was a translucent plastic bag taped neatly around her neck. I don't know if it was the combination of reclined death in a lazy boy, a nonchalant plastic bag, a possible murder, or the fact that it was Halloween, but that was a creepy scene. 
I think we had a shooting and a stabbing on that shift as well. In general, the creepiest calls for me are hangings. Something about a body just hanging listlessly in the dark. The last one I had to go on was where we were dispatched to... We didn't use our lights or sirens, which in itself was weird. We ended up at a Safeway with a bunch of cops who had no idea where the hanging was. Apparently, the guy who called it in casually shopping in the produce section, this guy mentions to us a body was at the construction site across the street. We told the guy to show us where it was. Surely enough, there was a well-executed hanging about five feet off the ground. Good quality rope rigged over a facade and tied to a cement block on the other side of the chain link fence. Seeing a dead body hanging in the dead of night is one of those things that just stays with you. You keep it in your back pocket so you can tell the story later when someone asks about the job. I have had a few other stories I wanted to share, but this will turn into a giant wall of text faster than I expected. Thank you for sharing this. In some weird way, it's kind of nostalgic to think about the old times and shifts. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true EMT horror stories. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it in the algorithm, and that's incredibly helpful to the swamp. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit the subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode, as I upload them nearly every single day and all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's an EMT story or something else, please be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp and stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcast or a different podcast platform, please be sure to give this a 5-star rating as it helps us out a ton over there. If you're on the go and don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of hitting that like button, subscribing, and maybe giving us a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts, maybe check out the merch store. Get t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool swamp threads. I'd love to know in the comments down below what your favorite story was tonight. It's pretty hard to pick. I think these were all pretty good and pretty tragic, but story number three really hit me in my heartstrings. Be sure to join me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and I'll see you guys soon with another creepy video.